course, I want to welcome everybody that's watching online and everybody that's here in New Albany. This is That's Deep, and we're talking about what it means to truly be spiritually mature. When I was in college, I went to a church for an internship because I was in uh, a Bible and theological course and training, and I went to this church to work. And when I walked in, it was very, very different than what I had experienced. There was someone uh, standing in a three-piece suit using words that I didn't understand. And they started to, as I entered into that culture, because I actually sang in the choir, they started to say things to me that I didn't know. But these people were so passionate about what they were saying that I thought, man, this must be what it looks like to truly advance and follow God. And what ended up happening was that these people were speaking in what's called tongues at times. And you go, what is speaking in tongues? It's something from the scriptures that happened in the New Testament when the church first started. And they were doing that. They were speaking in tongues. And they were prophesying. They were speaking bold truths about what they thought God was was saying. And they were giving visions and talking like that and saying, I had a vision. And I had some woman come up to me and, and place her hand on my shoulder and say, Joel, I have a vision for you. I have a vision, I see a teaching mantle on you, over you, something like that. And I was like, whoa. And so they talked about tongues and prophecy and it all kind of culminated in their services at times when people would speak in tongues and they were hyper expressive and raising their hands in the air and saying things that I couldn't understand and talking about prophecy and gifts of knowledge and vision and this experience. And one time there was a gentleman in the second uh, the second row, who got so excited, this really large man, that he kicked the pew in front of him and it knocked over and knocked a bunch of people out. It was a real large man. He kicked the whole thing over. And the pastor came down in the front and was like, brother, you just need to calm down. You're just in the spirit. And I was like, man, is that what it looks like to be spiritually deep? Like to have some type of experience, to, to understand some of these these expressions, speaking in tongues and gifts of knowledge and, and these certain gifts that, that we'll talk about that, that kind of personify an emotional experience or a, or a supernatural encounter, something that feels like an ultimate manifestation of God. And I thought, you know, I've never spoken tongues. I haven't had a gift of knowledge. I don't know if I've had some prophetic word. So am I deep? And so this is what we're looking at. Some people have these experiences, and there are churches that express their faith in certain ways, and certain expressions of the faith look extremely supernatural, and sometimes that supernatural expression can look like maturity in its fullest. But I want to go back to this series and look at all of this in context of what Jesus says, because Jesus actually decides what spiritual depth is. If you're watching this all over the world, you could have an experience, you could have some gift of knowledge, you could learn something, but the person who defines spiritual depth is Jesus Christ. And he did that at the very beginning of his ministry when he called his first disciples as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he said this to them, follow me, and I will turn you into fishers of men. In the first week, I said uh, right here that it didn't say, I will turn you into really smart people. I will turn you into workers of miracles. It said, I will turn you into fishing people. Ultimately, as you follow me, you will eventually, and in the process, reach other people. The goal 
of our spiritual growth and our journey and following Christ is reaching and helping, say it. And so the process is this, and we've said this all three weeks, we decide at some point, and then we grow, we, we learn things, we experience things, and then that turns into us leveraging everything we are for the betterment of people. And then that's supposed to repeat over and over again as we fulfill the Great Commission, which is the very end of Jesus' life. He rose up into the sky and said, go make followers. But what happens is, is we get caught in this growth piece because the growth piece can feel really good. It can have an effect on us. It can be something that, that has a sensation. It can be something that makes us feel a level of pride. And it can take our eyes off the ball in terms of what Jesus has called spiritual depth. Because he says fishing for people is depth, not the process of learning to fish for people. So it's all good. It's all great. But it's not the goal. Growing is great but it's not the goal. A lot of times when people think about Christianity, different things come to your mind in terms of what actually marks a Christian. What is, what is a Christian known for? What, what, do they, what do they do? What do they say? When we find a follower of Christ, what marks them and sets them apart from the rest of the world? When I was... Um, Throughout the beginning parts of my ministry, I was involved heavily in an organization called Young Life that existed to send college students into high school campuses to reach the kids, to teach them and reach them and help them follow Jesus. And there was somebody that, that did this just after me and was actually someone that I helped reach. And then this person was heavily involved in Young Life themselves from a leadership perspective. And after they spent a bunch of time going after high school kids and seeing high school kids go to camps and follow Jesus, they went and they spent some time somewhere else where they got into a house where they had a bunch of other Christians and they had some amazing experiences in this house. After about a year or so of being removed from Young Life and then spending some time in this house, this college student reached out to me and said, I want to meet with you. I want to talk with you. And they sat with me and they told me, Joel, I spent all this time reaching high school kids. And then I got to this ministry house, all of us living together. And we started to do some things. And what this person described was a bunch of experiences around three of the many spiritual gifts that you can have in this relationship we have with God. And I'll talk about that. But this person started to say, like, I spoke in tongues. And they were like, I never did that when I was reaching high school kids. I never did that. And, and there were people that have prophecy and prophetic utterances and prophetic words. And there were people that had visions and gifts of knowledge. And this person went on to look at me. And I am not kidding you. This person said to me, Joel, those things are deep. Those are the things that you should be taking people to experience. Whoa. This person went on to say that they came back and they got some of their high school friends together and started to lead them down this path of an experiential moment. And all of the kids in this small group had an amazing time and they started to feel things and do things and say things. And this person said, see, that's evidence that that's what spirituality really looks like. And so I started to go, wow, like, 
Am I missing something? Because these are three gifts that the scriptures outline. I'll tell you what they are. But there are, like I said, 15 to 20 in the scriptures. And I don't have any of these. These are not my gifts. I don't speak in tongues. I don't prophesy that way. And I don't have like these gifts of knowledge and vision all the time that I'm like seeing things and just talking to random people and going, God gave me a dream, a vision. That's just not something that I experience all the time. So when I heard this from this college student, I thought, does this mean that I'm not deep? Does this mean that, that I don't have a level of spiritual depth or that I can't attain it? Now, these are the three gifts that are really kind of propped up, if you will, in a sub-Christian culture that says if you do these three things, it's the varsity letter, it's the depth of spirituality. And here's what they are, just so if you're new or you're new to the faith, like don't run away, this should not scare you, I will clarify all of this for you. And there are so many of you that understand this and you've been exposed to different pieces. And what I wanna do is I wanna put it all in perspective today. Tongues was something that happened at the very beginning of the church. When the church first started, there was a bunch of Hebrew and Aramaic speaking people from the region of Jerusalem and around there, and during Passover, pilgrims from several different countries who spoke different words were all there. So when God gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, the the closest followers of Jesus, they left this room and they went out into the streets and they started to preach the message of Jesus in a language that they thought that they were speaking, but people could understand it in all different kinds of languages. So they were speaking what they thought they understood and they comprehended, but the people that spoke a language that didn't understand what they were saying could understand. And so through tongues, God jump-started the church because in that proclamation, thousands of people accepted the message of Jesus and then went from there and told the story in their own language. So it was an amazing experience. And so throughout that region and throughout that time of the world, you can imagine over, overseas all the different languages and the different nations and God using tongues to, to bring the message in different ways. Now tongues finds it, itself in the scriptures as a prayer language, as some people speaking things that they don't quite understand but that God understands. But that's what tongues and prophecy is this idea of truth telling. And in the Old Testament, God would use certain men or women at times to go to the nation of Israel or different people groups and say what was obvious if God is really who he says he is, but who were ultimately missing it because of their context. So if the nation of Israel was turning their back on God, then a prophet would show up and say, hey, if you don't turn around and follow God, you are in serious trouble, which was true, but he was ultimately saying the future's bad for you, which kind of makes prophecy have this futuristic spin to it. But ultimately, it's, man, God told you this. I'm here to tell you this. And if you don't do what you should do, what happened before when you didn't do what you should do? Nations, Babylon coming and destroying you, all the different things that happened to the nation of Israel, that's going to happen again. So they became prophets, kind of like people that say what everyone doesn't want to hear. Whoa, I don't want to hear that. Joel was a prophet. The, the book of Joel. I don't want to be the kind of person that says stuff that nobody wants to hear. 
But sometimes God calls us to do that, but there were people that lived for that, and God like took their whole lives and said, you're this. Now in the New Testament, there were people that were speaking prophecy. They were truth tellers. They were saying things that were strong and helpful and almost fear-ridden to say, you guys gotta get your life back on track, and it's a gift. Gifts of knowledge is like a vision where God, for no reason other than just to use you as a conduit, might put some information or a vision in your head so that you could move into someone's life and give them a picture of what God wants for them. You see it a bunch in the Old Testament, and it was happening in the New Testament as the Holy Spirit poured out into the people and different gifts were given. So the question is, for me and for you, if I don't have one of these, does that mean I'm not deep? Does that mean I can't be spiritually mature? Do certain gifts make make people deeper? I have the gift of preaching. There's a bunch of other gifts. Mercy, helping people, compassion. There's a bunch of other gifts. Helps. Like there's, there's a bunch of other gifts that the gift of faith that the Bible talks about. And I have some of those gifts, but I don't have some of those gifts. So does that mean that I can't be spiritually mature? And when you hear some of these gifts, it can be intimidating. There are people who have grown up in the church and they haven't been exposed to tongues or prophecy or a gift of knowledge. And when they hear someone else talk about that, it, it can almost make someone who's lived their life in the church go, I must not be mature. I must not be spiritually deep enough. I must not get this. And some of you are hearing this going, Joel, I didn't even know that any of that stuff existed. Does that make me shallow? Yes, it does, by the way. No, doesn't make you shallow because it's a misunderstanding of what these gifts are for and what the church is designed for. You see, if we're supposed to be known for something, there's a lot of different things that people take out of context and people over-personify and elevate that can make us known for something in our faith. But as followers, there is one thing that we are supposed to be known for that's supposed to be the center of who we are. We are supposed to be known by our love for people more than anything else. More than any spiritual gift, more than any experience, more than anything you can think of, more than knowledge, you and me are supposed to be known for how we love people. People are supposed to look at us and not go, wow, they're deeper because they have some expression that seemingly is unattainable for me. But to look at us and go, that person loves people so well. I want to be like them. And so the church, over the years, has done some confusing, some, some, some problems arise in the church when we take what the center of what it's supposed to be is and move it to the outskirts. You see, the center of the church is supposed to be marked by genuine love for people. We are supposed to be the kind of people who love the way Jesus loved, have a care for people. That's supposed to be what we're known for. But what happens is, is that different pieces of the faith, the different spokes, spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, different even spiritual gifts like mercy or uh, faith can become, instead of a spoke of the wheel, can become the hub of the wheel. Now, nobody likes to talk about money at church, right? Raise your hand if you love that. And if you love that, you've, you, you're, you're mature. You're, I mean, it's only because money is no different than faith or forgiveness or anything else that I talk about. 
you want to hear about forgiveness because it's challenging. Nobody wants to hear about money. Jesus talks about money more than anything else. It's hard because it hits us in the heart. But the thing about money is there are some places that make money the center of the wheel. They make money the center of faith. They make money the center of the church. And it's supposed to be a peace just like everything else. But what can happen is, is when these spokes become the center, then the wheel gets wobbly and it doesn't turn the way it should. And ultimately, like, the church can get some of these spokes messed up and maybe not focus on one the way they should or not focus on another one the way they should. But the center of the wheel, as long as it has the love for people as the single most important marking for a follower of Christ, then this thing can keep on rolling. And so, if following Jesus is about fishing for people and the growth process has to do with knowing things or experiencing things, then we have to put into context these experiences, these spiritual gifts that oftentimes can be a spoke that take the center of the wheel. Okay, so that's where we're going today. This has been a problem since the very beginning because spiritual gifts and experiences draw people. They draw people in. They, they seem to be an experience that kind of feels this, this next level. And so there were churches at the very beginning of the church, uh, the beginning of, of the movement of the kingdom of God after Jesus left, that believed that these spiritual gifts were the mark of spiritual depth. And the one church that we constantly look at is the, the church in Corinth, which was a church that Paul started and he spent time with them, and then he left them, and then they had a bunch of problems. And this particular church had a bunch of problems with these spiritual gifts, specifically tongues, prophecy, and knowledge. And so they needed it to be addressed, and so he, write them, he wrote them letters. And in 1 Corinthians, he addresses these spiritual gifts and these experiences specifically. And I'm not going to be able to show you all of it, but I just want to give you an overview of where these gifts fit in terms of the church and how Paul describes them and how we should understand them even today. He says uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 8, he starts to unpack some big ideas. And one of the big ideas that he unpacks is this. Gifts are designed to help the church and to grow and reach those outside the church. Now let me just let that sink in for a second. Spiritual gifts, all spiritual gifts, Preaching, teaching, mercy, forgiveness, faith, tongues, prophecy, gifts of knowledge, all the spiritual gifts that exist, exist for a very specific purpose. Think about it. To help the church, that's the people inside the church, the people who follow Jesus, and to reach those outside the church. In other words, spiritual gifts exist to help people. Jesus promised to give us the Holy Spirit that would bring us these different gifts that would empower us to help people. We're, de we're designed through God's plan with the church to be someone who lifts up, who builds up the body of Christ and then who reaches the people who are not in the body of Christ. So when we think of the spiritual gifts as, man, that's more maturity for me, we're not supposed to be seeking after what is an experience that feels good to me. We're supposed to be seeking after helping people who know God and reaching people who don't. Now, 
There are lots of tests, and as you hear me talking about these gifts, these are important pieces. You'll read about these in the scriptures. It'll happen. You'll read about them. You'll experience certain parts. You'll be around people that, that have put more emphasis on them. And so you might be asking the question, you know, Joel, what is my spiritual gift? And it may not be one of those top three. It certainly might not be at all. In fact, a lot of people don't have those gifts. They have lots of other different types of gifts. And you could take a test, and if you want a test to learn what your spiritual gifts are, then we can send you a test. You can just email me, Joel at 514 Church, and say, I would like to learn my gifts. And we give that test to people all the time. But let me tell you the best way to learn what your gifts are. And again, the scriptures talks about about 20 of them that are all designed to build up the church and to reach people outside the church. The best way for you to learn your gift is to actually Go and love someone. And in the process of reaching into people's lives, in the process of just trying to help someone, you will learn what you're good at, and the people will say, you're really good at that, and that will be your gift. That will be your gift. You see, they're all designed for people. Jesus said, you're going to go and fish for people, so I'm going to give you this Holy Spirit that actually gives you gifts that are intentionally and, and perfectly placed into your specific person so that you can do ministry and help people and reach people. So you want to know what they are? Go and start to lead something. Lead a small group. Serve. Hold a door. Change some diapers. Hold a camera. Go to your neighbors and spend time with them. Go to someone who's in the hospital and actually sit with them while they're struggling. And you will see that there are certain people that have this gift called mercy. You ever met these people? It's a spiritual gift, the gift of mercy. These are the people who just love to absorb other people's pain. They just feel bad for them. They just live in it with them. They just have this empathetic draw into the lives of people. And you'll know if you have it when you're around someone who doesn't have it. Because someone who doesn't have the gift of mercy will walk out of the same meeting of someone that's going through something really difficult and they'll go, man, I couldn't take much more of that. And you'll be like, yeah, that was tough. And the whole time you're like, your heart is bleeding for people. That might mean you have a gift of mercy. You know the best way to find that out? Go get with people who are hurting and see how you respond to it. Because all of us can go and love someone and we can learn how God has equipped us to do it even better. That's the point of the gifts. That's one of the things that Paul talks about. He goes on to talk about how there are so many different types of gifts. And as I've mentioned, there's a lot of different types of gifts that he gives us to build the church and to reach the lost world. Um, and here's what he says about those gifts. Spiritual gifts are all good. They're all purposeful. They all have a place. And no person has all of them. So think about this for a second. When someone says or some community places an emphasis on three of the gifts as the pinnacle of spiritual depth, that's the same thing as saying, unless you have these three gifts, you cannot be spiritually deep and you can't do what God has called you to do. Man, that means that only some people can actually accomplish the mission of God on planet Earth. When what Jesus said is, you just got to go help and reach people and you are the church. You can do it and I gave you lots of different gifts. You see, one of the things Paul unpacks is the picture of spiritual gifts as it relates to a body. He says the church is the body of Christ, and there are lots of different gifts, and he uses the analogy of the body, saying that there are hands, and there are feet, and there are eyes, and there are ears. And he says not everyone can be eyes, and not everybody can be ears. 
Because if everyone were ears, then where would the seeing be? And if everyone were eyes, then where would the hearing be? Ultimately, he says there are different gifts. Not everybody has them. Everyone can go love someone. Find out what you are and use it to reach people. One of the things that Paul's, Paul addresses as we're looking at spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are all good, but not everybody has them. And here's kind of this, this burden that I want to shift, this thing I want to get to everybody that's watching this that just matters so much to me. And if you grew up in the church, this, this might be striking a chord with you a little bit different than if you're new to the church. But as you grow in your relationship with God, then what I'm going to say right now is going to start to um, open up in your mind and expand your horizons. And it's going to give you an ultimate road and a map for you to walk through your spiritual journey and not get sidetracked by certain types of experiences. You see, because Christianity, it's not about experiencing something, it's about loving someone. Everything we do should be to leverage what we have, the gifts that God has given us, our hearts, our tools, our ministry, whatever it is, our, our finances, to actually reach into people's lives and help them in some way. When we are full-blown, mature Christians, we will be the kind of people that everyone else looks at and goes, wow, they are really good at loving people. Now, Paul takes this confusion about spiritual gifts and he packages it right next to the point of having loving someone be the goal in 1 Corinthians 13. This is a passage that's often talked about at weddings because people know it's a passage about love. It talks about love being patient and kind. And oftentimes it's confused to be a passage about romance when actually it's a passage about relationship, just relationships with people, which is not mutually exclusive from romance. But this is bigger than just romance. This is about how we're supposed to love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he opens up this tension that we are talking about, experiences, specific gifts that seem to be more spiritually deep against what God says the goal is. Church is confused, here's the experiences, and let me remind you, Paul says, where those are in comparison to loving people. You have to make sure you keep what I say at the center of the church. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he takes the things that are in the center and he moves them to the spokes and he puts back in the center of the wheel that which needs to stay in the center of the wheel. 1 Corinthians 13, let's look at it. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, now you know what tongues is if you didn't know, but do not have love, do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Man, you can have this gift, but if that gift isn't leveraged to help people, that is just a loud, annoying, obnoxious noise that doesn't help anybody and everybody runs away from. Because you're not just speaking in tongues so that people can hear you. You're supposed to be speaking in tongues so that you help people. So if you don't help people with your gift, it's pointless because the point of your gift is to help people. It's to really care about people, not to just you to have this flowery, angelic moment. Oh, dude, there are, I'm sorry, there are some people that think that that experience of that expression of tongues is spiritual depth. Not according to Paul. 
The other ones, if I have the gift of prophecy, which by the way, Paul did have the gift of tongues and prophecy. And he basically says, it doesn't mean anything compared to loving people. And I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. These are things you know a little bit about now. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, for those of us who grew up in the church, faith is another one of those gifts, a certain type of gift to just trust. You might have met those people that can move mountains but do not have love. I am nothing. Whoa. Talk about keeping the main thing the main thing. Talk about experiences stealing the center of what this whole thing called following Jesus is supposed to be about. And then he says this, which should really churn you up a little bit. And this is so important that you open this up and look at this in your Bible right now while you're watching. If you're online watching, sometime just look at this in 1 Corinthians 13 because this is a piece of it that even as a follower of Christ for years, I've read this passage, I've read it at weddings, and I miss this. Look what it says. It says, I, if I give all I possess to the poor, all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You see, so many of us live in this, this thing where we go, now wait a minute, the brother of Jesus says faith without works is dead, and you know, we're supposed to go the extra mile, and we're, if we really have faith, then it will show up in what we do. And that's true. But if your faith doesn't show up in your relationships being special, being laced with love and mercy and joy, then all that outward stuff that you do could just be outward stuff that you do that has nothing to do with what you really experience about God at a heart level. Because the next thing that he says is so profound. If I speak in tongues, if I speak with knowledge, if I have gift of prophecy, if I have the gift of faith, even if I give all my money to the poor, even if I let my body be beaten for the cause of Christ, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. And then he says, love is, anybody know the word? Patient. What? Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, big faith, sacrificial living, Patience? Patience? Patience trumps tongues? Patience trumps gift of knowledge? Patience trumps giving all you have to the poor? What? He goes on to describe love in a relational fashion that says this is what you do when you care this is where you should spend your time developing and growing patience, kindness, not keeping a record of wrongs. He is talking about the relationship that is most important to you. And if in that relationship there is an exhibition of love that people marvel at. Wow. Talk about keeping the main thing the main thing. And of course Paul does a masterful job to this church that's confused. But the greatest story is the one that Jesus lives out in John. And this is where I'm going to kind of bring this, this uh, Sunday morning to a close as we all just wrap our minds around what it really looks like to be fishers of men. Jesus, after three years with his 
disciples, he brings them to a Passover meal, and he does something that's unbelievable. He puts them all in a room, and he starts to wash their feet. He takes a bowl of water and a towel, and he gets on the ground and washes their feet. Now, to you and me, that sounds weird, but these were people that walked all over roads, all over the region, and these roads were covered in dirt, and not just dirt, they were covered in fecal matter. Horses, ox, whatever you can imagine, filling up the road with excrement. And when someone would travel in this region during this time, there was no way they could get around stepping in that. As they say, it happens. And so these men show up, and they are with Jesus, and they have this all over their feet. And in that culture, slaves and servants, people that were paid to do that would do it because it was such a disgusting task. And Jesus starts to do it. Now, the only time that a master of a house or a father would do this type of thing was with it, when it was with their kids, when it was with someone whom they loved intensely, and it was a symbol of love and honor. And so Jesus, in this moment of being God and, and being with them, gets on the floor and washes their feet. And he goes through foot by foot, and he cleans off the most disgusting thing you can imagine. And then he says this to them. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, now that I have washed your feet, I've done this thing for you, you also should wash one another's feet. And that doesn't mean that you should literally wash people's feet. It means that you should be willing to do the thing that other people think only servants do in order to show love to someone that your most intimate relationships should be so connected with patience and kindness and goodness. Wow! That people look at the way you treat them and they go, that is humble. This is God in the flesh on his knees washing off these horrible, horrible, smelly, gross men, their feet and everything that's on it. And he's going, I love you, I care for you. I'm doing this for you to show you. And he says, I have set an example you should do as I have done for you. The master teacher says in this moment, it's not what's taught, it's what's caught. And I want you to catch this. Catch this. Jesus goes on a couple verses later in this, in this moment in the upper room. And he basically gathers, gathers them all together and he's like, guys, like I'm leaving and I have taught you things and I've shown you things and we've had experiences together and I just washed your feet but I need to tell you one more thing and if you don't get this one thing then you, you, you're going to miss everything because this one thing wraps up everything. No matter what you see, no matter what you experience, no matter what other pieces come into play, there's something that's at the center of this faith. There's something that's at the center of this Christianity and I'm about to say it right now. This is like when I was in college, my buddy, after 9-11, he had joined the army uh, in, in August, and then 9-11 happened that year. And within a month after 9-11, he was supposed to be shipped over to fight. He didn't even know it was going to happen. And he was so scared, and he called me on the phone, and he was like, dude, will you come down here? And like, I'm getting ready to ship off. And I was with him on the last day, the day before he got shipped off, to go to war. 
And he, he sat with me, and he's like, dude, I'm going to go fight in this war. And I was on this ministry pastoral track, and he looked at me, and he said to me, Joel, no matter what happens, don't stop preaching the gospel. Because I'm going to go fight this thing, but the only real way we can make impact and change is if we teach people how much God loves them. And we share with them that message and watch it change and rattle their lives because that will cause the greatest change that can happen in this world. Jesus Christ has this moment, this I'm going to war, I'm not coming back, I need you to know something, this is the one thing, I'm God in the flesh and I have a message, this is for you forever, for everyone, don't miss it. You can just see, like, you're going where? He says to them, right before he says this, I'm going away and I'm not coming back. You're not coming back? Yes, so get this. Get this one thing. I'm going away. Please understand, there's one thing that's bigger than all the things. No matter what the things that come up, no matter what you know, no matter what you experience, no matter what you go through, no matter what they say, no matter who dies, no matter what, here's the thing that has to drive the life force of The church, he leans in and he says these words. A new command I give to you, love one another. Love one another. Please. You will never forget or miss any of the other stuff I did if you do this. This will mean that you followed me. Love one another as I have loved you. So you should love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. This phrase is him going, they won't know that I was real unless you go and love people. They won't know that this actually happened unless you do something different relationally that sets you apart. And it's bigger than an experience. It's bigger than gifts. It's all about people. People are going to know this if you love one another. You see, it's not about experiencing something. That can become a faux goal. That can become a fake target. That can become a misleading path. But Jesus gives the path crystal clear. It's not about experiencing something. It's about loving someone. The goal of our faith is reaching and helping people. And so we decide And then we grow, and then we catch, and catching people, and reaching people is deep, really, really deep. Now, some of you are going, okay, I I hear what you're saying. I've heard this series. I understand what the goal is. Joel, will you help me? How do I catch people? On September 10th, I'm going to end this series, and we're going to talk about specific things that you can do right now and things we're going to do church-wide so we can all rally together and go do this thing that Jesus says is the target, reaching and helping people. Father, help us do that. Let's pray together, you guys. God, thank you so much for giving us such a clear picture. Help us to follow you intensely. Help us to be committed to this, this loving someone goal as opposed to experiencing something or knowing something. Shift our minds, our hearts around who you are and what you did and your example. And help us even today to take the model 
of service that you showed your closest followers and to put it inside and make it something real for us. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that our burden would shift away from ourselves and our experiences and our knowledge into the, the neighbor's that we have been thinking about, the people in our lives that don't know you, the people who are hurting, help our burden, help our passion to move to them because we exist to reach them and we exist to help them because you existed and do exist to love us and help us. We love you so much in Jesus' name, amen.